I'm joined this morning at the IMI's National Management Conference by John Briffa, who's a practising doctor and author and is uh, about to give a, a keynote address. John, what are the key messages that you're going to bring to kind of corporate Ireland here today in terms of the, the sort of things that we can do to manage um, stress? Yeah, so we'll be talking, uh, first of all, about you know, the general concept of well-being and energy mm. being important for you know, converting whatever skills or strategy or experience someone has into genuine sort of effectiveness, you know, relatively high performance. That's what most people are, are looking for on a daily basis. But also to be able to do it sort of healthfully and sustainably. And there's a number of different factors that are important here. You know, they include, for example, you know, what we're eating and sleep and physical activity and psychology. And so one of the points of the session is really to share some very simple sustainable strategies that people can use on a daily basis to essentially optimise their state physically and mentally so that they, in essence, get more out of themselves, get more out of their day, feel more on top of things, feel less stressed, and then also get to use that state not just at work but also outside work, right? Because uh, most people, although they like work, like to have a life outside work as well and it's important to manage our state there whether it's just for recreational purposes socializing some sort of leisure activity or just being a parent or husband or wife or whatever it is it all requires us being able to manage our state to a certain degree um, we'll also be looking a little bit at uh, what the cost of these sorts of issues are they're very common um, so for example fatigue uh, low engagement burnout, they're all quite common issues and they have a sort of individual cost, which I'm sort of alluding to now, but they also have a organisational and business mm. cost and it's considerable. So, um, mm. you know, I think having individuals be aware of these things and manage them better uh, is hugely beneficial, obviously, to the individual concerned, but it also has mm. a, a wider implication, of course. Sure. Just like taking it from the point of view of the individual. Um, can you give me maybe two or three key things that uh, executives can do perhaps to improve their, their stress and their, their well-being and their general health? Uh, well, we're not talking about it today, but one key yeah. thing is sleep. Yeah. And I know it's sort of risen up the agenda recently. Um, often it's prescribed, you know, like you know, we need to get our eight hours or whatever. And we need to set, set a uh, very, uh, if you like, established schedule around sleep that we're going to bed at 10 and getting up at 6 and doing that repeatedly, you know, every day. I don't give that advice around sleep. Uh, there's two reasons. Sleep needs are quite individual, so they can't be judged on the basis of some study. You need to judge them. So if there are certain symptoms, like regularly waking up to an alarm or not feeling well rested when you wake, um, need to press the snooze function on the phone and having to catch up on sleep, uh, which is a good tactic, by the way, but it's what it's a sign of that I'm getting to, then there's a good chance that there's a sleep issue. And then we would think about, well, maybe more sleep, um, uh, but possibly also just improving the quality of sleep, for example. Um, I don't really agree with scheduling, and that's because I don't think hardly anyone can do it if they have a real life and they've got work and other commitments. So I'm a great believer in catching up on sleep, which the sleep specialists say you can't do, but you absolutely can do. Uh, and everyone knows that because when people are short on sleep and they get a bit more sleep, they are instantly revived by that, okay? So, for example, going to bed a bit early when you can and not feeling that's a, a sign of weakness, but more a great coping mechanism can be hugely helpful. But also quality of sleep is very important. Uh, there's a couple of things that are important here. Light exposure, plenty of light exposure in the day is generally helpful for 
if you like, biochemical reasons that we don't need to go into now. Uh, but also too much light exposure in the evening can be problematic, so using devices a bit less, or certainly using software to cut light exposure from devices like smartphones uh, and laptops and tablets mm. is generally helpful. Mm -hmm. The other thing is I don't want to be like a party pooper, but alcohol, even in relatively small amounts, tends to be very disruptive to sleep. Uh, and so while uh, I'm a very liberal, uh, I like a drink, um, the reality is the benefits of alcohol, if you like, the pleasure derived from it, is very often outweighed by the pain that's being endured mm -hmm. the next day. So just being mindful of that. I mean, at the weekend it might be all right, but generally during the week it uh, causes more, if mm -hmm. you like, harm than good uh, overall. Sure. So a simple tactic there would be to have a rule around alcohol and say something like, look, you know, I don't drink in the week don't unless I'm out or something like that, or, yeah. you know, whatever works for the individual. I have a rule, which is if I'm working the next day, I don't drink. Uh, it's very uh, hardcore, but in a way, to be honest, that's what makes it easy mm -hmm. because I don't have to think about it. I'm working today, so I didn't drink last night. Would I like to have a drink last night? Yes, I would, but there's no chance of me having it because I have a rule around it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's one thing. Sleep, I think, is very important, but also other lifestyle factors are important and beyond the scope of the dis discussion, probably. Mm -hmm. But another thing to bear in mind is the way people think. Uh, and the reality is, is that life is infinitely stressful, I think, and it is very unpredictable and very uncontrollable. And it's, it's a lack of control, the unpredictability that is generally causing the stress, mm -hmm. which is compounded by our desire to want to control things. Sure. Either situations or, and it quite often happens, other people, people in our team, you know, other people in the organization, mm -hmm. our partner, our kids, you know, there's a tendency to want to control. Uh, the unfortunate thing, of course, is we can't control. Um, and so what often happens is that people actually compound the, the, if you like, the issue by focusing on things that really can't be controlled. Now, you could then argue, uh, well, what can you control? Because that would be the thing to focus on, and there's only really one thing that we can control, and that's ourselves mm -hmm. and how we respond to things. I think a lot of people imagine that these two things are inextricably linked, like something bad happens, of course I have a bad reaction, but if that is really the case, how is it that two people can have completely different responses to the same thing? Mm -hmm. a, a lot of the issues you talked about there, John, come down to sort of personal choice, and individuals really have to, I suppose. That's exactly uh, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm a great believer in that uh, personal choice. Um, and to a degree taking personal responsibility. Mm. So the reality is, is that if someone is feeling stressed, it's not the event or the person or whatever it is that they think that is that's causing it. Mm. It is their perspective on it that's causing it. Mm. Now, th that is not to blame anyone. I, I do this as much as anyone else. It's not to blame anyone. Mm. But if you take that point of view, you're now potentially in control of it. Mm. Uh, you're not a victim to circumstance or someone else's behavior. If you accept, well, I have an interpretation or a perspective on this that is causing me to feel stress and have a negative mm -hmm. response, then I can do something about that. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Whereas what appears to be external to you is, again, uncontrollable. Sure. So just these basic ideas permeating sort of life can be hugely helpful to people, whether at work or outside, because it essentially puts someone much more in control of the situation or their emotions mm -hmm. and is much more empowering than going, oh, this bad thing happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, aside from, I suppose, what individuals can do in terms of taking responsibility, are there things organisations can do to make life a little bit more uh, pleasant for their employees? Uh, yes, I think so. I mean, first of all, and I think most organisations get this, this is 
you know, quite an important area in the sense that most businesses are a people business and therefore helping people <coughs> and facilitating people to, if you like, look after themselves is quite important. So I think a lot of uh, organisations um, certainly have that mind. It, it kind of needs to be done right. Um, by being done right, I mean, what do I mean by that? I mean, what I've found generally works with individuals uh, in organisations is whatever support you're providing them and whatever interventions you're offering them, um, first of all, they need to be sort of presented in a, in a relatively positive light. So if, you, if everything's all around stress and burnout, it, it, for, to be perfectly frank, it's a bit of a turn-off for some people. And then also some people will feel stigmatised by engaging with something that's about stress or burnout because the tacit sort of admission there is I've got a problem in this area. Mm. So sometimes the framing and the positioning of interventions is quite important. Mm. But also uh, having something that's quite evidence-based is generally helpful, you know, mm. using some science because most people in organisations are quite logical and rational, what we might call left-brained, and that's helpful. Mm. Um, it's also important that the techniques are being sort of tried and tested and found to be generally beneficial. So a classic example of this is that the theory of sleep scheduling is perfect, isn't it? I mean, it all makes perfect sense. Uh, the fact is it doesn't work. And what works better is just understanding that life is a bit variable and I'll catch up on sleep when I can or optimise the quality of my sleep, do you see? Mm. Now we know that's what really works, not necessarily what an academic is telling us, yeah, if, yeah. if that makes sense. The, the other thing is, is that the, the strategies that you're effectively providing to people have to be quite simple sustainable, easy to do, so a small investment pays off big in terms of how someone feels, for example. Because if you make something unduly complex and unwieldy and uh, impractical, people are generally not going to do it, and therefore there's no value in that at all. Mm -hmm. So very often small things done very consistently is what, what's beneficial. So I would just say to any organisation interested in this area, bear these things in mind, uh, because although many organisations will want to invest in this area, when it's done right, I think, and the evidence supports it, you get enormous bang for your buck. But if it's done wrong, things can fall a little bit flat. But just coming back to an earlier point, I don't believe in preaching to people or forcing people to be a particular way. I just, you know, I'm a kind of libertarian at heart and I just mm. think people should live their lives as they want to, basically. Mm. Um, so one thing that I would generally keep away from, so this is a don't rather than a do, is some sort of, anything that comes across as preachy or patriarchal, slightly patronising, is a huge turn off for people. Mm -hmm. You know, even kids don't really like to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. Adults don't either. And so make the information available, but the lightest touch, to be honest, tends to have the most power. Okay. There is an issue at the moment around uh, working hours and mm. there's an initiative, uh, for example, by one of our major trade unions here yeah. to introduce a four-day week and yeah. their view is that uh, people can be just as productive and perhaps more productive than yeah. four day week. Would you have a view on that? Yes, I think it's true. Mm. I think it's broadly true. I think one thing that would be useful for organisations to get away from, and I think there is a drift to this with mm. sort of advar working and whatever, that it's not really the hours that someone's putting in that's really key. It is their productivity. And what we know is, beyond a certain point, and it will vary from person to person and time to time, productivity starts to decline, so the overall productivity. And so uh, there is an argument um, for, for example, having a more contracted working week, because there is some evidence that people are at least as productive, sometimes more productive, on a four-day week than a five-day week. And when you think about it, it makes perfect sense, because, um, you know, essentially people appear to be working 
less in terms of hours, but they're more productive per hour in that sort of slightly contracted week. I mean, I often, for example, work a four-day week. I'm working a four-day week this week. So I've worked on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but I won't be working tomorrow. I actually live in Portugal. And so I've packed it in. I've been in Lisbon, um, Zurich, London, and Dublin this week, okay? But it's been over four days. I know it sounds like a mad schedule, but I'm gonna have three days of doing nothing, uh, essentially, after this. Does that make sense? Uh, so I'll just be with my family. I won't be working or whatever. Now, I'm not saying what I do is right, uh, but it is a, an example. This week in my life is a classic example of where you can actually pack in quite a lot, be very productive, or at least hope you're feeling you're being productive, and actually have quite a large chunk of time that is spent doing something that has really nothing to do with work, like being with my wife and daughter in my, in my case. So I think there is an argument for that, and I don't think it should be dismissed. There were some organisations that have brought in this idea of um, uh, holidays being at your discretion, that appears also to be broadly working. Uh, and I think if we relax our definitions of what it really means to be effective at work, and we don't uh, you know, get too hung up on the idea of the number of hours that are being put in and how visible you are in the workplace, and focus more on effectiveness and productivity, I think it will liberate people to work more in a way that suits them, because we're all a bit different, uh, rather than something that's decreed by the organisation. So I actually think flexibility here is, a, is generally a good thing. And I also think younger generations of people, way younger than us, I have to mm -hmm. say, um, sure. will be demanding of this as well. You know, because maybe people of our generation, not to age us too much, will, would have run through walls and do all sorts of things in order to do whatever we need to around you know, the workspace. But to be perfectly frank, uh, things are changing and people are, I think, demanding more flexibility, more um, recognition of their individuality about how they go about their business. Uh, and although this is a little bit uncomfortable maybe for organisations, I think if it is embraced and it's acted on, it is going to be to the betterment of the organisation and the individual's concerned. John, that's been fascinating. Thank you very much. Thank you.